0: During the height of COVID, I became obsessed with planting stuff, things like flowers and fruit trees and bushes. And one of the things that I ended up planting was this pear tree uh, in my backyard. And roughly a couple of years later, I walk out to my backyard and lo and behold, two of the most beautiful pears that have ever grown from a tree. There they are right there. Check those out. Unbelievable pears. And I was excited. I could tell you are too, you know, by your reaction. Just absolutely so proud of these pairs, and I would show them to anybody uh, that would look at them, even if they didn't want to look at them. I would show them, man, look at what happened in my backyard. I, and I was taking full credit for this pair operation that was taking place as well, uh, because man, I would use language like, "Look at what I grew! Uh, look at the fruit that grew on these trees! I planted this tree. I grew these pears. I grew this piece of, free, of fruit." And obviously, if you're in the room and if you, and if you've ever planted anything, you know. That you don't grow anything. It's impossible for you to grow a piece of fruit. Even the best farmers, even uh, the best gardeners, those that are described as having green thumbs, they can't grow anything. We can't grow anything. In similar fashion, we've been discovering this summer that it is impossible for us to grow the fruit of the Spirit. That's the reason why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Paul doesn't give ownership to humanity. He doesn't say it is uh, because of the local church filling the blank. No, he says it's the fruit of the Spirit, and it comes directly from him, is the reason why we're able to produce and to grow uh, what Paul talks about in Galatians. So we can't produce it. And our mission in this series has been to try and divert your attention from pursuing the fruit of the Spirit, which sounds counterintuitive, to a series entitled Fruit of the Spirit. But we know that as humans that we would not be able to accomplish. But instead, what we've encouraged you to do is we've encouraged you to pursue one thing, and that is simply to abide in Jesus. Well, where do we get this from? We get it directly from John fifteen five. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So without Jesus, we get nothing. With Jesus, we're able to bear much fruit. So our role as followers of Jesus is to abide, which means to be in a relationship through prayer, through the reading of his word, through the gathering together inside of a local context called a church just like this. And the word says that if we do that, if we'll just abide in Jesus, that he will be responsible for growing the fruit of the spirit inside of our lives. Paul says in Philippians 2.13 that God gives us, the God that's working in us, gives us the desire and the power to bear fruit. What fruit? Our focal point Galatians 5.22 Uh, That we've been sort of anchoring this series into says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, he mentions a lot of things there, but he says it is a fruit. Wouldn't that be called the fruits of the Spirit? Actually, it's not. It is the fruit of the Spirit. This apple that I'm holding in my hand and the one that's on the screen, this is a singular piece of fruit. Now, I could describe this fruit to you in many ways. I could say it's red, I could say it's round, I could bite into this, and I could say it's delicious, I could say it's hard, I could say it's soft. I mean, there is a lot of ways in which I could describe the features of this apple, but it's still just a singular fruit. And that's what Paul is saying, it is the fruit of the Spirit, and then he begins to list all these features and all these attributes. So when we truly place our faith in the finished work of Jesus, we know that we get the fruit of the Spirit, but not only do we get it, we get all of its attributes. We will start looking like the features and the attributes that Paul just described in Galatians 5. Isn't it comical and a little bit sad, to be honest with you, that most Christians get accused of being Christians nowadays based upon what they're against, based upon what they're boycotting, oh, they must be a Christian, or based upon uh, what their political alignment is. But what Paul is saying is that if you are going to be accused of being a Christian, it should be that, oh, man, look at the fruit that they are bearing. Look at the fruit of the Spirit that is so evident in our lives. Our consistent actions should look like the fruit of the Spirit. Now, with that said, every week we have been taking a tour through each one of these features, these attributes, and today we're gonna turn our attention towards kindness. We're gonna do that online, across all of our campuses. Hello, Robertsdale and Thomasville, all of you guys that are joining us, we're going to be looking at kindness. And the way that we're going to look at kindness is one of the most powerful demonstrations of kindness inside of all of the Bible. Now, before we read the passage of scripture together, I want to kind of set it up. There is a main character in this passage that we're going to read. His name is David. And David is the king of all of Israel. And he begins to do something in this passage. He starts searching for anyone that has the bloodline of the former empire. Well, who was the former empire? Who reigned over it? It was a guy by the name of Saul. And then his heir apparent would have been his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were like BFFs. So David wanted to find somebody that had the bloodline of the former empire, which, by the way, would not have been that uncommon. Because in order to avoid an insurrection, they would hunt down anyone that was associated or in the bloodline of the former empire, and they would have them killed, and the law backed them up. The law gave them the legal rights to be able to do that. In fact, it was encouraged to do that. Why? so that the king didn't have to keep his head on a swivel it was rough enough being a king and then all of a sudden you see someone hey i am saul or jonathan i'm kin to them i'm connected to them and i've i'm coming to take over the empire so instead they would just eliminate the problem however this is not what happens inside of this story that we're going to be looking at today in fact is quite the opposite. So check this out in 2nd Samuel chapter 9, we're going to be reading verses 1 going all the way down to 13. Now some of these verses I'm going to read to you Verbatim, because they really uh, announce the attribute, the feature of kindness that we're going to be looking at today. But then others, I'm going to paraphrase. So in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it says in the first verse of scripture, one day David asks, Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive, anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And they find a guy by the name of Ziba. Ziba was one of Saul's servants. And he comes to the palace. And so David asks this question again, this time to Ziba. In verse 3, it says, The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show. And then he adds something on to kindness. You see it there? God's kindness to them. So David right there is going, Hey, this is not me. In my flesh, I should be looking for this person in order to kill them. But instead, I'm going to show them What? God's kindness. So, David is not in ownership of this kindness. He makes a distinction. He says, Hey, I'm I'm going to show them not something that I own, but I'm going to be a conduit for. I'm going to show them God's kindness. So, Ziba says, Actually, there is someone still alive. It's Jonathan's son. Remember, Jonathan and David are BFFs. It's Jonathan's son, which would have made him Saul's grandson. He is down in a place called Lodibar I would circle that because we're going to come back to that in just a moment he's he's in a place called Lodibar so David says all right go and get this guy and bring him to me so in verse 6 in walks the son of Jonathan his name was Mephibosheth he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson and when he had came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect, and David said, "Greetings, Mephibosheth. How are you doing?" And Mephibosheth replied, "I am your servant." David says in verse 7, "Don't be afraid." I intend to show kindness to you, there's that word again, for the third time, David is using it, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then in verses 9 through 12, David makes good on his promise. He throws him the keys to all of, Saul's, all of Saul's belongings and says, It's yours, take it. And then look at verse 13. Verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 9. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. So three times David mentions the word kindness. In verse 1... In verse 3 and in verse 7, Mephibosheth mentions it inside of his response to his kindness, but David mentions it three times. This word is called chesed. In all three instances, when David uses the word uh, kindness, it is connected to a Hebrew word called chesed. This chesed, or loving kindness of God, is mentioned 248 times inside of the Old Testament. So the question is, is what is Hasid? Now, here's the thing. What I always like to do when I'm, I'm trying to really understand a word is I will look at what it isn't first. So what isn't Hasid? What is it not? Because sometimes that will give us a better understanding of the word. Well, the word Hasid, which is a deep, beautiful, rich, meaningful word, it does not, it, it does not refer just to nice deeds. Hasid has a layered depth and one of those layers deals with the distinction between being nice and being kind. Because here's the thing: you can be nice and not be kind. And we're going to find out also that you can be kind and also not be nice. Now I know that that's mind-boggling because the way that we define kindness is, oh yes, yeah, niceness, right? It's just being nice. It's just being a nice person. But it's so much deeper than that. Because in the South, we're really good at faking kindness, aren't we? (laughs) Oh, man, we're so good at fake kindness. Fake kindness is being nice outwardly while being filled with rage inwardly. And oh, it looks like kindness because we're being so nice. We got a smile on our face. I mean, everything looks appropriate. We look the part but it's just a facade. It's a fake, it's a counterfeit. It is a artificial kindness when we are filled with rage on the inside. Now, from where I'm standing, I've got a few apples up here. I've got some that are real and some that are counterfeit. Some are fake and some are real up here on this platform with me. And you see it, and from your perspective, it's probably hard to distinguish between which apple is real and which apple is fake. Now, let's briefly pull this apart. Have you ever been so frustrated with someone? Like with your, with your wife, with your husband, with your friend, with your coworker, with your neighbor, with your child? Can I get an amen? With your in-laws? Can I get an amen on that one, right? Been so frustrated with them... But on the outside, you gave them niceness, you were nice to them, you had a smile on your face, but on the inside, you want to take their life away from them. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like your children, I don't know if your children are like mine, but man, they, they like to push my buttons in public, you know? They know what buttons to push. And I don't want to like, you know, do any harm to my child in public, I don't want to do that. You know, uh, and, so, and so they'll push my buttons because they know that about me. They know that I'm not going to do anything in public. Oh, but when they get home, you know, we're going to have a conversation. But they'll push my buttons. And on the outside, I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. But I, 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 am, I am on the inside filled with rage. And that is what artificial kindness is. That's what fake counterfeit kindness is. You know, in the South, we have this saying, it's called, uh, bless your heart. Have you heard of this? You know, if you're not from the South, you just moved here from the North, that is not a compliment, by the way, you know. Bless your heart. If you're watching online up North, that's not a compliment. Here's another one. Have you ever heard the phrase, killing them with kindness? If you're wanting to kill them with it, it is probably not kindness. It's probably something else. That's artificial kindness. Jesus had something to say about this in Matthew 23, verse 27. He calls this religious group of leaders. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look the part, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And then in verse 28, Jesus is a savage, isn't he? Look at this, verse 28. He continues to be a savage, and he says, outwardly, you look like righteous people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What Jesus is trying to drive home to the religious leaders is that your inner life has to match your outer life. And what I want us to understand inside of this room is that in order to have genuine kindness, to express genuine kindness... That the way that you're portraying yourself on the outside has to match how you feel on the inside. Another artificial kindness that gets labeled as kindness is when we withhold the truth because it may hurt someone's feelings. And we don't want to hurt that sweet baby's feelings who thinks they can sing. (laughs) You ever watch an American Idol? And they get up in front of millions of people and showcase to the world that they in fact cannot sing (laughs) grandma refused to tell them the truth baby you can sing it's so good or grandma was just tone deaf or deaf I don't know (laughs) but obviously you know we we hide behind this artificial kindness because we don't want to Tell people the truth, but sometimes the most kindest thing that you can do is tell someone the truth. In Psalms 141, verse 5, it says, Let the godly strike me, it will be kindness. Let the godly strike me, it will be kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. Now, that doesn't sound very nice. Like, we're talking about striking someone, but the Bible calls this kindness. Think about it from this perspective. If you see a child in the middle of the road and a tractor-trailer rig is bearing down on them and they don't see the tractor-trailer rig, what are you going to do in order to get them out of the middle of the road? You're going to do some things that are not nice. You're going to yell things at them. Hey! You're going to wave your arms. Your body language is going to be expressive. And if they don't listen, you're going to run and hit them as hard as you can in order to get them out of the path of oncoming danger. Now, is that nice? No. Is it kind? Yes. It's kind. So what are some other things that are applicable that aren't nice but kind, pointing out a blind spot in a brother or sister. Looking at a brother and sister in Christ and going, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but when you say the things that you say, like it's not your intent, I know you, but everyone else thinks that you're just being a jerk. I've had that said to me before. That was not nice. But was it kind? Yes, it was kind, it helped me. Calling out sin in a brother or sister in Christ. You know that we have an obligation You can't just mind your business. If you see a brother or sister in Christ that is erring off the path that God has given them, and they're about to blow their marriage up, or they're about to blow their relationship up with their child, or they're about to do something that is sinful in the eyes of a holy God, and if you don't call it out, you're not practicing kindness. And it's not nice. It's hard. But we have to do it. Defending someone that can't defend themselves. The Bible says that we're supposed to defend the widow and the orphan. Well, it's not nice to the person that they're getting defended against. But is it kind? Yes. Setting expectations for how you are going to be treated. I think a lot of folks think, oh, in order to be kind, I'm just going to have to be the doormat. People are just going to wipe their feet off on me. I'm just going to have to take it. Take one for the team in the name of Jesus. That's what kindness is. No, sometimes it's looking at your spouse and going, I'm not going to be talked to in that way. You're coming across like this to me and and we're not going to do that. Some of us is looking at our children and going, honey, we're not going to do that in public and you're not going to talk to me that way in public. It's okay to do that with your child in 2023. It's okay. I just gave somebody permission. I felt freedom over here in this section right here. (laughs) It's setting the expectations for how you are going to be treated. Well, I don't like conflict. Well, no one likes conflict. If you like conflict, I've got the name and number of a great therapist that I want to give you. No one should like it. Some of us are better at conflict than others, but we should never avoid it. Why? Because fake kindness avoids conflict. Fake kindness avoids it. Now, this is not giving you the permission to be a jerk because in most situations, you can be very direct without being condescending, aggressive, or hostile. You don't have to be rude. And I know there's there's someone in here that's going, oh, man, I ain't got a problem, Pastor Blake, with confrontation and conflict. I can do it. Okay, Carl, calm down, all right? Are you doing it, though, in a kind way? Real kindness at times can look like healthy confrontation. It's got to be healthy. I grew up in a part of the world where when you heard the word conflict or confrontation, it sounded like a shotgun racking, right? I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. We had a guy, and this is a true story, got in a fight with his wife when I was a kid, and we watched this play out. Uh, on our front steps, he got on a horse. If it tells you anything, we didn't have like, you know, a bunch of land. Uh, We just had like an acre lot. So he had a horse in his backyard. I don't know where he got the horse from, but he had a horse. So he rode the horse up into his house because he was in a fight with his wife and he was so intoxicated that he drew a pistol out of his holster and shot all the windows out in his home. And you're going, is that true? That is absolutely true. That happened. You see, I didn't have to watch Cops when I was a kid. All I had to do was just go sit on the front steps. And Cops, man, there was an episode of Cops that took place every single night in my neighborhood. It was awesome. I loved it. And I thought that was normal. I thought that's the way that you handle confrontation. No, it has to be healthy. It has to be kind. Here are three things that you need to look at when you're confronting someone or when you're entering into conflict. And this, and this really helps you to understand that, these, that, that when these things are present, that, that godly conflict is happening, that godly confrontation is happening and you're doing it with kindness. Is right timing, right temperature, right tone? Is it the right time? Can I talk about it without my face getting red? without veins bulging out of my neck? Can I talk about it with this person in the right tone? And you need to practice, man. I'll practice before I go and have a conversation. My wife will laugh at me because she'll hear me in the bathroom sometimes having a conversation and no one's in the bathroom with me. I'm talking with the person that I'm gonna be meeting with on that day because I wanna make sure that my interactions, and I don't get it right all the time, my interactions with people are holy and they're God honoring and they're kind. So kindness isn't always being nice and being nice isn't always kind. Now that we have established some of what it isn't, what is kindness? And the best way to look at kindness is through the filter of David. What did David do? What were his actions? If you look at uh, chapter 9 verse 3 it says the king then asked Ziba is anyone still alive from Saul's family so that I can show God's kindness to them. So right, right there man you'll notice that David is making kindness a priority. And I don't know what the schedule of a king was. I can imagine he had a long laundry list of things that he needed to accomplish on that particular day. I know that my schedule is out of control on most days. But here's King David, who probably had way more to do than what I've ever had to do inside of a giving day. And And he's making kindness a priority. He's like, I'm gonna wake up today and I'm gonna show someone kindness. And now he's looking for a specific recipient. And his intentions move to action. So David just doesn't intend to show kindness. He actually does it. You see, our intentions are are worthless. Real kindness, according to David's actions, real kindness goes beyond intent to action. I can intend to take the trash out every Wednesday. It's due on the side of my house Is due right there at 9.30 every morning. I can intend to take the trash out all I want, but my intentions is not going to get the trash out by the road. And my 17-year-old son definitely is not going to do that either. You know what I mean? I intend to, but are your intentions coupled with action? Because that's genuine kindness. Intending to be kind isn't kindness. Kindness requires action. Kindness is not what you do. Or kindness is what you do, not what you intend to do. So David's intent leads to action. And in steps, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is probably expecting, because they understood the law, he was probably expecting to get the wrath of the king. Mephibosheth was probably, based upon his reaction to the king, what does it say? It says that he bowed low to the ground. A man with crippled feet? Can you imagine the shock waves of pain that that sent through his body when he's bowing low to the ground for this king? But he's trying to save his life. He's trying to ensure that that his head doesn't get taken off. He's going to do whatever he can in order to not die. He's expecting the wrath of the king, but instead, what does he get? He gets his kindness. David hands over the keys to everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Gives it to Mephibosheth. David's wealthy because he's a king. Saul was extremely wealthy because he was a king. And Mephibosheth walks in poor, broke, with a a condition in both of his feet. And the king shows kindness to him and he makes him one of the richest people on the face of this earth. The chapter concludes... With verse 13, 2 Samuel 9, verse 13. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both of his feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. So what's interesting to me is that the writer was emphatic. And we, and we believe that Samuel is the one that wrote this, that, that, that he was emphatic to help you to understand that the only thing that Mephibosheth was bringing to the table was his condition. That's it. He had nothing else to offer. He wasn't adding any value at the king's table, and he wasn't decreasing David's value either. Why? Because he was the king. David was the king. But here's this Mephibosheth that gets invited to the king's table, but he has nothing to offer but his condition. Real kindness is not based upon what someone can offer. There's a word for that, it's called being impartial. Genuine genuine kindness is impartial. It's not biased towards, oh, well, what can you do for me? Like, I'll show kindness to that person because, man, they got political influence. Or I'll show kindness to that person because, man, they got a boat, and I like to go out on the boat and catch me some snappers, so I'm going to be kind to that person. You know what I'm saying? But real and genuine kindness is, is impartial. It's not based upon what someone brings to the table. You see, we're having a conversation right now with uh, some property owners at Daphne about uh, some land that they have and, and they need some help with their water retention. And so I look at them and I go, man, I can, totally, I can totally help you with that, not a problem, but I want something in exchange. I want you to give me some parking on Sundays. There's 90 something parking spots that you're gonna be building on your property. Can we use that? And they said, yes. And so they're getting some of our water retention, and then we're going to get to use the benefit of use of their parking lot, which is awesome. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll call that kindness. That's not kindness. Why? Because there's a two-way exchange. That's not kindness. You want to know what that's called? It's called business. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But we'll slap kindness on the things that are not kind. Well, what is kindness? Well, kindness doesn't expect an ROI. It doesn't expect a return on investment. A year or so ago, my wife and I went on vacation, and I don't know if there's anyone in the room like me, obsessive-compulsive, but when I go on vacation, I like for the house to be clean. I like for all the laundry to be done. I like for the beds to be made. And that way, when I come back from vacation, I, man, I don't have to do all that. You know what I mean? I can just come in and relax. I want the house to smell like bleach. I want it, I want it to smell like it's clean. Like when I walk in after vacation, I'll just spray bleach in the corners just so that I can smell bleach when I come in. Because in my mind, if it smells like bleach, it's clean, right? Well, my wife, she is not, um, she is not about hiring cleaning services, but we left on vacation and we didn't clean our house. And she's not about that, all right? I don't know why. I've tried to convince her many times, like, let's just hire someone. She's like, nope, not going to hire anyone. And I'm sure she has her reasons. But behind her back on vacation, I hired a cleaning service to come in and clean our house. (laughs) Yeah, it went about that well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So on the last day of vacation, because I didn't want to ruin the whole vacation, I was looking out for her, her interests. The last day of vacation, after I've been behind her back texting, okay, here's the code to garage door, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, there's something under the sink that you need to, yeah, yeah, you can get that to clean that. You know, I'm like incognito. Last day of vacation, I go, hey, I hired a cleaning service and this is the way I pitched it to her. I was like, so that, that you, we don't have to clean when we get home. Like you're not gonna have to do any, like all the clothes are washed? Like they washed our clothes, are you serious? Yeah, they washed our clothes, they stripped the sheets, our, they stripped the sheets off of our bed? Are you, are, are you serious? Are you insane? You know how I feel about this. I go, well, baby, I did this for you. And she looked at me with such hatred in her heart. And she said, you did not do this for me, you did this for you. And she was right. Now, I didn't appreciate the tone that she said that to me in. But she was right. And David is getting nothing in return. I was getting something in return, which by definition is not kindness. David is getting nothing in return. He's impartial. And he's also not getting an ROI. There is no value exchange. The only motive, if you could identify one in David, is kindness for kindness sake. So what is kindness? It's not based on intent. It's based upon action. It's impartial. It's, one, it's a one-sided transaction without expecting anything in return. So now that we have answered what it's not, and we've answered pretty much what it is, then the last question is, why? Why should we show kindness? Because for those of us that are in Christ... We are the greatest recipients of the most undeserved, impartial, one-sided transaction of kindness on planet earth. It's called the cross of Calvary. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's this gospel trail that has been blazed through this entire story. This is really a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do for us on the cross. Look at this. God calls us out of our nothingness and invites us to his table through salvation. That word Lodibar, it actually means nothing. That's what it means. So if you are from nothing, then that means you're a nobody, which means, uh, you know, like me, I'm from Alabama, which makes me an Alabamian. I'm from America, which makes me an American. Mephibosheth was from nothing, which made him a nobody. And by definition, he could bring nothing to the table. We come to Jesus in our sinful condition. Just like Mephibosheth came to the table with his crippled feet. All we have to offer is is the sinful lifestyle that we've been engaged with. That's all we have to offer. Mephibosheth was expecting the wrath of the king, but instead he got his kindness. We deserve God's wrath. In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. We should have died, but Jesus died in our place. We are led to the king's table by God's kindness. In Romans 2.4, it says that the kindness of God leads people to repentance. That word kindness in Romans 2.4 is the exact same kindness that Paul refers to in Galatians 5.22 and 23. When Paul says kindness there, and when he says it again in Romans 2.4, when it says the kindness of God, it's the exact same word, which lets us know that we don't own it. It comes from God. But it's this unbelievable feature that we receive because of who God is. It's not based upon what we bring to the table at all. It's not based upon a seat at the table, about getting a seat at the table, or earning a right to be on the team. No, we never earned the right. Jesus earned it for us. The most quintessential verse of scripture that explains the gospel is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for sin so that we could be made right through Christ Jesus. The only way that we're in right standing with God this morning inside of this room is because of the work of the cross. And today inside of this room, we actually get to play both roles if you're a follower of Jesus. We get to play the role of Mephibosheth, which means that we get to receive God's kindness as we offer nothing in return. And we also get to play the role of David. Because we've received God's kindness, we get to show it to a world that needs it, by the way. They don't need your opinion on Facebook as much as you think they do. They need the kindness of God. And this feature and this attribute is the very thing used to draw people to repentance. So today, across all of our campuses... We're going to participate in Holy Communion. And if you're in the room and you have your elements, go ahead and get those ready. If you have not got your elements, just go ahead and wave your hand. We have a team of people in the back that are going to be making sure that everyone is served. If you're in this place today and you are not a follower of Jesus, the Bible gives strict instruction that this is only for believers. Because what we're doing is we're remembering when our story was intercepted by the the most epic story ever told, which is the good news of the gospel. We're remembering that today. So if you don't have an intersection where your path crossed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then this is not for you today, but here's what you can do. You can receive salvation. So there's a My Decision card that's located in your seat back. You can fill that out. There'll be a team of people down front as we dismiss today and you can bring that forward to them or you can drop it off inside of the connect boxes as you leave today. And don't leave here today without receiving Jesus. If you're in the room and you have a child with you, then we're gonna leave that up to you as the parent because you know whether or not they have received the gospel and you are the steward of that child now let's direct our attention and what a powerful story the story of Mephibosheth the gospel trail displays and now and now we segue into what Christ did for us on the cross so listen to this in first Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 to 25 go ahead and make sure the elements are ready for I received from God what I also passed on to you, uh, passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the, night that he was, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the bread. And we thank you for your body today, Jesus, that was broken so that we didn't have to be broken. Then in verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and take the juice this morning. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you extended it to us through the cross of Calvary. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in the room that needs you, Jesus, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would... Compel them to take that card and to fill it out and to bring it down front and have a conversation with one of our team members. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, may we be like David and get up tomorrow and start looking for a recipient of God's kindness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.